My name is Anna, and in July, I was diagnosed with hairy cell leukemia, a rare, slow-growing blood cancer of the B cells. After a lengthy period of research and weighing my options and talking to experts, I decided to participate in a clinical trial at the National Institutes of Health, or the NIH. The trial combines cladribine, the standard of care chemo drug used to treat HCL, with rituximab, a monoclonal antibody that helps to eliminate minimal residual disease. On October 9th, my boyfriend Hoko and I flew to Washington, D.C. for an extended stay so that I could get treatment at the NIH. Okay, so we just arrived in D.C. We and Hoku. We're here in D.C. We got settled into our Airbnb in Northeast D.C., having flown into town a day early so we could do some exploring before we had to go in for my first day of screening tests at the NIH. It was awesome. We had a really jam-packed day, starting with the White House. I guess it's just a white house. No. <laughs> it's just, it's smaller than I thought, but still impressive. Believe me. And then we went to the Renwick Gallery, we saw the Lincoln Memorial, we went to the Vietnam Memorial and the World War II Memorial. We went to the Natural History Museum and walked all around the Capitol Building and the Supreme Court Building and the Library of Congress. I knew that once I started chemo, I'd be out of commission for a bit as my blood counts went down, so I wanted to get in as much that first day as we could. It's day one of testing at the NIH, October 11th. Um, so we got here and then we had to like go on foot to find the gate, go through, go through security, make our way to the building. And then we checked in, we met Ashley who is a research assistant here at the NIH and signed some paperwork and started on the tests. The first test was the blood test. They took a lot of blood. It was like 15 vials and there was a really lovely uh, phlebotomist who was taking the blood who was humming some like Rihanna song or something. She was like, you okay? You're all right. And I was like, it's a lot of blood. She was like, it's not. I've seen, it's been a lot. I've seen a lot worse. She was like, I really have trouble with the men. You'll be fine. <laughs> um, but I did kind of feel like fainting. But then after that, I felt like I had to keep a brave face on. So I was like, I'm great. The second test was the EKG. The EKG was crazy. That was like the quickest test I've ever done. The dude basically just put a bunch of stuff on my chest, and on my legs and on my arms clicked one button, took a picture, and was like, all right, you're done, and then left the room. <laughs> it was that fast. Um, so if every test is around that efficient, I think we'll be out of here pretty soon. Um, uh, so pulmonary function test. It's a test where you breathe into a mouth device that's kind of like a scuba tank, and you do a series of breathing exercises, like breathing in and breathing out really quickly, or breathing in and holding in, and holding in your breath for 10 seconds, or breathing normally, and they, me and they measure your lung function. Um, so, kind of actually uncomfortable. My throat hurt, um, and just was an uncomfortable experience, but not that bad. So, day one of testing is over. The last test was an MRI scan, which I thought was gonna be no big deal, but was by far the worst test of the bunch. It was really stressful being in a little container 
like a coffin with really loud beeping noises and no sense of when it was going to be over and an IV attached to your arm um, and air blowing in your face. <laughs> it was really uncomfortable. When I was sitting in the waiting room, um, I saw somebody come out of the MRI room who was like a young woman around my age or maybe younger who was mostly bald and had a really long scar on her head, which made me think she likely had surgery for a brain tumor. And she was so nonchalant when she came out. I think her father or someone was there and said, how was it? She's like, oh yeah, it's fine. And that, that was my impression before I went in. So I thought, oh, it's not so bad. And then thinking about it more, it must be, you know, if you have brain cancer of any kind, an MRI must be a normal part of your life, you know? And it, it's just kind of intense to think about uh, the stuff that's just gets to be normal, like in a less intense way, but it still is a little tough for me to think about. Like bone marrow biopsies are just going to be a part of my life, you know, for once every six months or once a year for several years. It just the whole the whole day actually. I was noticing people who were walking around who clearly had really serious health conditions and we're in a cancer ward so and it's yeah it's striking that nobody really seems like all that upset because in the moment you're just kind of going about your day and it just becomes normal to you but uh, it's still it's still new to me so I'm still finding the whole thing odd yesterday October 12th was the second day of testing at the NIH it was a long day. I didn't get to meet Dr. Kreitman, and there were a lot of tests, and I think at one point during the day, I just had a feeling of like, is, is this the right thing to do? I'm kind of putting myself through a lot here to participate in this trial, but ultimately it kind of seems like, you know, two days of discomfort isn't a huge deal. So going through my tests, just, just to give some perspective on all of what I've done in the last two, two and a half days in terms of screening tests to get into this trial. The first day, there was blood work, then an EKG, then a pulmonary function test, and then a stress treadmill. I was kind of anxious about the stress treadmill because I'm out of shape and I thought I'd be running on a treadmill for 45 minutes, but it turned out it was just fast-paced walking to get to a certain heart rate. And there were two really, really nice female technicians who were there. And I just chatted with them all the time and the test kind of sped by. And then I had an MRI in the evening. So the next day there was blood work and then a clinic appointment where I just sort of asked a few questions of the nurses who were part of the trial. And then an ultrasound of my abdomen and probably the two days of tests, that was the thing that was actually pretty fun. I was in a dark room, kind of laying down, comfy, talking to this really friendly ultrasound technician who told me all about living in D.C. area for 40 years and her family and just sort of chatted through the whole thing and just had a friendly conversation. It was a nice break from going from test to test and just sort of feeling like a medical subject. Um, and then a chest x-ray and a CT scan of my chest, abdomen, and neck. And then we also found out that my treatment was going to be delayed a day, which I was fine with because both of my arms are really pretty badly bruised from all of the 
blood tests and the injections and the IVs, and I just felt like I needed to give my arms a break. So today was that day that was a break. I just went into the to the NIH to briefly meet with Dr. Kreitman and his team and ask all of my questions of him. And it was a pretty informative conversation. He's a very impressive doctor. It sounded like, for, for my case, and it might be different for different HCL patients, as far as visitors are concerned, everyone should just keep their hands clean and make sure they have a flu shot. Um, but I can have visitors. Within six weeks, counts are typically normal, so it's a pretty quick recovery time in terms of relative to other types of chemo, which is good. I was really happy to hear when I asked him some of my um, science-oriented questions that there, there's some pretty optimistic things about this trial. I asked about remission times because a lot of the reason that I'm doing this is that the average remission with cladribine alone is 10 to 15 years. And being as young as I am, um, and being that the lengths of remissions tend to get shorter over time with more with each treatment, uh, I, I wanted to really just try to, you know, hopefully knock out the disease or just get a really lengthy remission time uh, with my first treatment. And he said, it'll be about 10 years before we really know if cladribine and rituxan as a combination treatment achieves longer remission times. But he said it, what it definitely does is knock out minimal residual disease to a greater degree than if you just did cladribine alone. And so that's promising. This trial has been going on for seven years so far. And of the 34 patients who were randomized in the trial to the combination of cladribine and rituxan at the same time, 32 of them haven't had a recurrence of MRD at all. Two have had a recurrence of MRD. And one of them they could detect minimal residual disease, but then at the two and a half year mark, it was undetectable and it hasn't come back. So it's just kind of, they, they weren't sure why they were able to detect it, but then it went away. But maybe it was one of those things where extrapolating here, it just took a longer time for the cells to die off in his body. And the second case was actually somebody, the only person in those 34 patients who relapsed was actually somebody who had been diagnosed with HCL 27 years previously but had been treated with another drug um, at the time, and so technically qualified for the first time cladribine trial, even though he wasn't a newly diagnosed patient. So it's a little bit of a different case, and you can sort of put a qualifier on that um, result. We talked a little bit about um, what's the danger of HCL if it's left untreated, and he, and he mentioned that in 1976, for example, there were real effective treatments for HCL, and there were other sort of chemo drugs, or splenectomy was the main treatment, removal of the spleen. After diagnosis, the average life expectancy was four years. So in a way, really, really lucky that I was diagnosed in 2016 with this disease, and I have the benefit of a few decades of really good research and development of effective drugs. And also, you know, I'm lucky to be able to participate in this trial and, and get access to them. So tomorrow we're going in at 7 a.m. We're going in to get blood work and then start treatment hopefully at 8. And the reason we're going in so early is that it might be a 12 to 15 hour day of just getting an IV. And the first treatment is going to be rituximab, which apparently most patients have a strong reaction to, whether that be fever or shaking chills. So usually the first dose of rituximab is given quite slowly across six to eight hours or sometimes even longer. 
I'm a little anxious about it, but I'm trying to just be positive. I mean, I think there's just something fundamentally kind of weird about, especially someone like me who my entire family is pretty medication adverse, I would say. We are really conservative about when to medicate, and my father was a natural doctor and, and often recommended sort of herbal and natural-based remedies. I'm a little anxious about just the, the level of sort of chemicals that are going to be going into my body tomorrow. So that's, that's sort of where things are at tomorrow morning, getting up at 5.30 a.m. to go start this journey. Okay, we're here. We're on, on his first day. My voice better not actually make it into this podcast, but I'm just setting the stage so she knows what she's listening to when she's cutting her tape. Hoku helped me record while I was actually getting treatment, so to preface this clip, I sound kind of tired and out of it. But don't be concerned, I think I was just mostly sleepy from the Benadryl. So, this is your first day, um, really getting treatment. Can you describe what the process has been so far? This morning, we came in, had some blood tests, and then got, got some breakfast, which was good, and then came up to the day hospital to start the first Rituxan treatment. I was told that um, most people have side effects to Rituxan, so basically what they do is they start it off really slow on an IV drip and then just kind of monitor how you're feeling and continually raise it. And if you're not feeling good at any point, they bump it back down to a lower rate of infusion. And uh, I took a bunch of drugs beforehand. So I think it was like Benadryl, Tylenol, Pregnizone, and one other drug that I can't remember that was just generally to tamp down symptoms. I'm not someone who likes to take medications pretty much ever, but really grateful for the Benadryl in this instance because I slept through the first couple hours. Um, from what I understand, a normal Rituxan infusion is around two or three hours, um, but what they told me was that on average, most people it's like six to eight, or it could be longer if you're having worse reactions. So, um, even though I don't really feel that way right now, I feel pretty crummy. I was, I guess, relatively pretty lucky because it was about six hours. I was fine, just started feeling really, really tired. And then when we upped it to 100, I got like a splitting headache, like really, really bad. And then took Tylenol again and it wouldn't really tamp it down. So we lowered the rate back to 75 and then ended up throwing up, which actually really helped. <laughs> had no appetite, but like, thankfully was kind of nudged into getting some food, and I felt better after food too. I mean, the whole thing just feels like your body is like, kind of falling apart. <laughs> You're really crummy. But it's actually a pretty comfortable chair. <laughs> it leans back all the way and there's a footrest, so that's nice. And um, Hoku's been like my silent partner through all this, like just like, carefully adjusting my pillows and like bringing me tea and <laughs> thanks babe you're welcome i haven't done much it's mostly been the really nice nurse but i've helped where i can you've been awesome but really yeah the nurse has been awesome her name's ellen and uh, she's kicked ass also we met some really nice people this morning yeah including this couple in their 70s it was a husband and wife and the wife had multiple myeloma which has a worse prognosis typically, and it sounds like 
she had been diagnosed five years ago and had undergone a few different kinds of treatment, and now she's at the NIH doing a clinical trial for a pretty new kind of treatment. They were really sweet. Her When she was in treatment, her husband came in to chat with me, and he was like, how old are you, 22, 23? I was like, 25. And he said, this must have, bl must have been a blow, huh? And I was like, yeah. I don't know why that kind of made me cry. Because <laughs> I think like a lot of people, don't, a lot of times people don't acknowledge like, whoa, this must be hard even though it's gonna be fine. But like this whole thing has just been hard. And, um, and then he started telling me about how he has, he and his wife, like their passion is to travel and they've been all over the world. And um, yeah, he was just really sweet. He told me that his, his wife recently spoke with him and was like, if you want to start looking for another companion to, like, be by your side while I'm gone, and he was like, I just cut her off, and I was like, who's going to help clean up after me? Who's going to help me with everything? Like, don't even say that. I'm going to have to go before you, you know, and they've been married for, like, 57 years. That's really romantic. It made me cry. <laughs> the nurse and, and Hoka were like, the fuck's the matter with you? <laughs> Why are you crying? <laughs> but he was really, really sweet. So now here we are, we just started cladripine, which is a two-hour infusion. And then we've had blood tests all day just to monitor my counts and check if I need a platelet transfusion. And we'll be here pretty late. And uh, one thing that's pretty sweet is we can order whatever food we want. So I just ordered some chocolate cake, which will be here soon. So yeah. How's it been for you? Uh, it's been intense. Um, I mean, not... That sounds terrible when it comes out of my mouth because I've, on this trip, had no needles poke me. I've lost no blood. Um, I certainly don't have any medical condition that I'm aware of that needs any kind of treatment that's slowing me down. But, um, yeah, there's just something about... Uh, there's something about watching someone you love going through a lot that even when you're just sitting on your behind just lends itself to just, I don't know, the word that just kind of keeps passing through my mind is hmm, intense. It's Saturday, October 15th, and we're here for my second day of chemo. And I gotta say, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, <laughs> I think part of that has to do with the fact that Hoko and I actually got a full night's sleep last night, which we haven't really been getting. I slept like nine hours, and... I didn't have any fever, I didn't wake up in the night. Other than just feeling like kind of sluggish and slow this morning, which probably makes sense because I lost a lot of blood and I'm guessing my blood counts are down. Um, I'm feeling pretty good, feeling pretty positive. I'm about to order some breakfast. I'm probably gonna have pancakes and um, the cladribine infusion should just be two to three hours and then hopefully we'll be out of here. So my daily blood test showed that my platelets were down quite a bit to 11, which is in the spontaneous bleeding zone. Dr. Kreitman had previously warned me that cladribine and rituximab given together can dramatically lower platelets, but that they typically rebound after about 24 hours. He told me that if mine went below 10, I'd likely need a platelet transfusion. So it's a relief to know that I was just over that threshold, even if that seems pretty arbitrary. <laughs> For the next 24 hours, I just need to be really careful about headaches or stomach aches that might mean internal bleeding is happening. For the cladribine, I had a really awesome nurse named Andrew. Seriously, the nurses here rock. 
Here's Andrew explaining some of my other blood test results. The only thing you really care about is your white count. Yeah, and I guess uh, neutrophil count, right? Okay, so Where's here we go. So this is it. Yeah, so let's just, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that Dr. Crabman's looking for, but here yeah. you are. Your white count's 1.1. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, your ANC is actually, hey, it's not so bad. It's 720. What is? There, here. Your, the, absolute, the absolute neutrophil is your, is your ANC. So it's oh. 720. It was at 0.4 yesterday. Yeah. You get that sometimes. Weird. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's a, it's a, I expect it to, uh, the end result, your, your, your ANC might continue to be low for, you know, for a period of time. They say anything below a thousand and you should, you should just be a little bit more wary of a fever. Okay. So if you have a warm, if you feel warm, if you feel flush, do you have a thermometer at home? Yeah. Okay. So take your temperature. Uh, usually we like to say anything below 100.4. You should just take it again in an hour. Anything above 100.4 to 101, you should call us. Okay. Okay. And so, and usually we'll bring you in, and that's and we'll just do a set of blood cultures and kind of go from there. And so that's always just a concern. So, uh, but for you, the most important thing from now until your accounts start to rebound, either now this week or as you go home in the next week, uh, just being a little bit more aware of, of uh, crowds and things like that. Okay. So, are you coming back weekly for rituximab? Yeah. Okay. So I have. A Three more days. Yeah, so you'll finish on Tuesday. Yeah. Perfect. And do you get rituximab on it's Wednesday? Be on okay, so Thursday. So you'll get you'll stay until Thursday. Get your get your. Uh, we're actually going to be here a few weeks. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, because I just didn't want to fly back and forth, and then. Okay, it does suck. The last half, I'll fly back and forth. Yeah. All right. When hopefully I'm feeling a little better. Perfect. We'll see. We'll see. All right. how no, it goes. that's that's perfect. That's perfectly fine. So, all right. Well, you'll stay in the area. It sounds like fun. Yeah. Uh, so you'll get to enjoy fall on the East Coast, and he'll be like, "See, we should move here." <laughs> you know, the art world lives in New York. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's true. Here. That is true. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, that's, that's, what, that's what all the New York people say. Never been to New York. Don't really want to go, but that's what they all say. you never been to New York? I'm sorry. It's right there. I know. <laughs> I, I'm not a big fan of people. You can tell. That makes sense. I find it very difficult to talk to people. <laughs> this, job's, this job's like the most whack bartender you ever are. All right, you guys are free to go. Okay, so it's what, October 16th now? Yep. Feels like autumn today. Which is nice, but otherwise I feel like shit. <laughs> I'm still really tired and I don't have an appetite and kind of like a little bit nauseous. Like yesterday I was like, oh man, this is a piece of cake. But right now I'm just like really dreading the dose of cladribine. Mostly because of the needle. I'm so tired of needles. I don't know. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, like we've, I, I'm excited because I think that this is the hump day for the cladribine. So despite how bad it's feeling after this, there's just two more days and then it's just rituxin once a week. So that's, I think things greatly simplify after that. Yeah. No, we'll see how it goes. Thanks for joining me for episode three of Anna and the Harry Cells, a documentary podcast series about getting a scary diagnosis and learning how to move forward. Thanks to my boyfriend Hoku for eventually agreeing to be on the podcast and for his support and just general awesomeness. Also, shout out to the nurses at the NIH Clinical Center Day Hospital who are just really great during a difficult week. I'm revising my posting schedule for now to once every other week on Mondays, so follow along to keep up on how I'm doing. 
If there's something you'd like to share, send me a message at annaandtheharrycells.com. I'd love to hear from you. But now I'm back to work. It becomes something of an interview. So, That's really close to my phone number. You might want to delete my cell number. <laughs> so I say we take a great picture. Oh, yeah. Totally oh, at the monument. Let's do it a couple of grand. Guess that whole family's pranking somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, kids. <laughs>